Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, everyone. We're back today without Manuel. Manuel Faith. I think I got that right. Manuel decided to go to Germany for vacation. Actually, I'm joking. He went to Germany for work. So shout out to Manuel. We won't have him today. So today we're going to be hosting with me, Adrian, and Josh will be co-hosting, I guess, today. Somewhat of a backup, Josh. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing good. Backup Josh is always always doing good. Some big news that I'm really excited to touch on with you guys, but we'll get, we'll get there we'll get there a little later. But I, all's well. Excited for May two four. Hopefully, you guys will be enjoying yourselves and Manuel wherever he is is uh hopefully having a good time as well. Probably drinking a lot of beer in Germany. But, I'm hoping so. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot to talk about. There's the Europa League final that happened, the Mbappe saga that is starting to look like a soap opera at this point. Endrick, the prodigy from Palmeiras that might be heading to Barcelona Real Madrid at age 18. The Premier League, somewhat last round preview. The Serie A, that's again with the Milan Derby, exciting. Like It's back, the Milan Derby. We're going to talk about that. But before we get to all these topics, there's a lot to talk about today. Adrian. How are you doing? You're going to help me today hosting or you're going to be like backup Josh? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm happy to help. I'll, well, I'll, I can back up. I can be the second striker. It doesn't matter to me, man. I'll do whatever you want. But uh, Josh, you said May 2-4. What is that? Never heard of May 2-4, man? Come on. A lot of Canadians, no. will, a lot of Canadians will know that. That's uh, Victoria Day weekend, May 2-4. You, 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 oh. you buy a 2-4 at the start of the weekend and your goal is should 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 be, I mean polish that off maybe maybe another one but um <laughs> I've, I've grown up a little bit man come on mid-20s now I don't, I don't do that anymore i'm gonna okay, behave myself okay. this weekend. I, but, was, I was confused i knew that there was a holiday coming up but i mean self-employed people we don't really pay attention to holidays because you know it's that is uh, true but yeah that is that is very you know what you know what's funny today uh we're recording this and i just heard yesterday at night that the u.s men's national team is going to drop their roster today and and again we go to Burhalter time, right? Burhalter has learned over the years that it's it's okay to be wrong. It's just not okay to be boring, and that, <laughs> that's something that <laughs> that he's been blessed the U.S. fan base with over the past three years. But but guys, why don't we get right to it? Europa League, the insanity of the Eintracht Frankfurt fans. Uh, it just it just looked like when I was watching that that I was watching. Um, I don't know, Boca Juniors playing in La Bombonera, <laughs> that fan base. And and they pulled it off. They defeated Rangers. I, w- I personally, I wasn't rooting for anyone because I, I just thought it was awesome to have either one of them win. Uh, both fan bases were completely passionate. It was great to see, uh, especially when I go out a little bit of South American soccer. 
But what do you guys take from that game? It, was, it seemed like both teams were a little bit scared of winning it at the one point, scared of losing it, actually. Both fan bases were incredible, and neither one of them stormed the pitch, which can't say the same about Everton after they survived relegation. But we'll get or to the that Boca, a little bit Or later. the Boca Juniors fans that I mentioned, they'll, they'll storm the pitch if they win that's something. It. Yeah, that's it. We'll get to that a little bit later, at least uh, as far as Everton goes. But yeah, this match was a little bit... I mean, people always say that the worst football is played in the final of any tournament, which is often true because each team is pretty scared. They don't want to concede and immediately be on the back foot. And you could absolutely see that. But then even in the attack, just the the quality in the attack wasn't there for much of the game. And I, I sort of said on Twitter, like the way that Rangers ended up scoring that opening goal with a terrible headed back pass attempted I don't know what the Eintracht defender or midfielder was doing and then the defender <laughs> retreating and slips and falls on their face leaving and a breakaway was just so such a perfect encapsulation of how that match was going but I would say that as far as the result goes you know winning in a shootout in the Europa League final is always nervy and it's even worse when you're losing one which I can speak to as a Benfica supporter losing to Sevilla in the Europa League final but it's I think that over the 90 minutes Eintracht Frankfurt was probably the better team i can't even remember what even happened in extra time to be honest with you i know that there was a good save from from uh what's his name oh my god i'm trap I, i'm losing it trap yeah geez i was i almost said clop and then i was like no drop clop. no big save clap <laughs> trap there we go trap yeah good save there good save by josh as well back up josh that's what gotcha. you're there for <laughs> there's a great save by him but i don't know i thought it was overall if if you look at the balance of the match it was relatively even what did you think about that josh yeah, I mean, I thought it was a, a, a I thought it was a decent final because, like you said, all, all things considered, I saw a lot of complaints on social media being like, "This was boring," blah blah blah. But I mean, it's a European final; you, you got to be very careful. It's a, it's a little chess match. I thought over ninety, Frankfurt was the better side, slightly, slightly the better side. But I thought in extra time, Rangers were the better side. I thought they were going for it more. And and I said it a, a few times. I thought if it got to a shootout, I'd put my money on Kevin Trapp and Frankfurt. I just think. He's just a better keeper. He's very good at penalties. Not that I know every every shootout, every penalty shot that was taken could be different, but it it just told me like in the back of my head, I'm like if it goes to a shootout, I'm I'm backing Frankfurt. It's a complete guess, but I kind of seemed like Rangers were almost thinking that a little bit because they were going a little bit harder in extra time. They had an unbelievable chance. Kent probably should have won it. Kevin Trapp comes up with a like top notch save. Send it to extra time, and they they get the they get to win. I mean, there was. Some CONCACAF representatives on Rangers, so I was kind of like kind of low key hoping maybe like Canadian Scott Arfield, James Sands, and 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 Roof could have lifted that. But in all honesty, when it comes down to the club, I I kind of wanted to see Frankfurt win it. So I was a little torn. It didn't really matter to me, but I thought it was a solid final. And uh, and the one big thing that I think you guys might have probably saw, but I think I read a stat that a hundred thousand plus Rangers fans were in Seville, and over fifty thousand Frankfurt fans were in Seville. So that city got absolutely taken over by two very passionate fan bases and it, it's, it's devastating for Rangers, but I mean, it was, it, it was quite the scenes and, and really I'm a fan of the Europa league and that's the number one reason why. Yeah. Also, I was, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Philip. No, I was just going to add that. I think one thing that might've let people down a little bit was sure. These are not the most technical teams in Europe, right? When they think of a European final, they were probably expecting something more like we're going to get next weekend on the champions league. Maybe not at that level, but something a little bit better. But I still thought I, th I still thought it was a pretty good game. It was just you could feel that both sides. I know it's the Europa League, and let's say Manchester United, Barcelona. If they're in the final, it doesn't mean that much to them. But to these two teams, it meant a lot, and you could feel it by the way they were playing, both sides. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And it, it was nice to see two teams that actually really wanted to win this trophy. And these two teams in particular, I really like the story of each of them because, you know, Rangers basically had their club deleted and then they've had to come back up through the ranks in Scottish Premiership. And now they make it to a European final and they're oh so close to winning it and what that would have meant for the supporters. But the same could sort of be said in a way about Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, maybe a lot of people don't know this, but they were close to bankruptcy. They nearly went down in 2016. They had a shoestring budget of 2.5 million euros, but just through savvy signings, really, really good business from Eintracht Frankfurt, they've been able to sort of build themselves back up to a highly competitive side. And uh, so for them to go from this to, or from that point where they almost were relegated to beating Bayern in the Pokal, to being competitive in the Bundesliga for a long time now, and to eventually winning this European trophy, it's great, isn't it, Josh? Yeah, and I don't want to just keep throwing fun facts, but I mean, you were just talking, you reminded me of all these weird little storylines I, I was heard because like you said, this is a very unique and, and very entertaining final. You had a, a team from Scotland who didn't even win the Scottish League, Celtic t- tipped them to it, the title this year, and Frankfurt finished 11th in the league. And then on top of that, the, the goal for Frankfurt in the final, Bore scored it, he's also scored the winning penalty, was actually like a step away from signing for TFC when he was going to leave River Plate and then had a complete U-turn. He ends up in Germany and now he's a, a European champion. And it just is wild. And then Giovanni Van Bronckhorst comes in. I mean, remember Stevie G, what he did with Rangers last season, moves on mid-season to Austin Villa. They had to completely reshape that side and Van Bronckhorst came in and just did a wonderful job, in my opinion. And then icing on the cake, I mean, Rangers played without even a, a recognized striker. Arebo was not a striker. They they basically put him in that false nine type role. I thought he had a pretty solid game, but they were missing their t- talisman. They, Morales was out. He's I think he could have been a difference maker. And that's why I, before kickoff, I was leaning a little bit towards Frankfurt because in a final, you know, you, you want that goal scorer. I mean, I, you want someone who with a big game player. And Rafael Bore, I know he's not the 30 goal scorer that Andre Silva was last year, but he came up with the goal. He came up with the winning penalty and some spectacular goalkeeping. It just everything kind of fell a little bit towards Frankfurt in that final, but the amount of different storylines that were in this European final was incredible. And it was a very unique one. Maybe not the, the sexiest names in, in the world, but I, I mean, I honestly, I really did enjoy the match. Speaking of sexy names, I think we're, I think we're kind of done with this final at this point, unless anyone wants to cut me off, but I want to cut you off. Just say once again, congratulations to Eintracht Frankfurt and they'll be next year in the champions league. And I can't wait to see this fan base there. That's all. Yeah, there, that's one thing that is going to be awesome is seeing that Eintracht Frankfurt fan base because every time they show shots from, like, I'm sure you guys all sh- saw the shots from their stadium back in Germany that was packed with, I don't know, 50,000 or more people just going crazy. So that was really, really fun to watch. They ratioed, week, they ratioed Barcelona and Camp Nou. That's true. Yeah, exactly. They absolutely for the Twitter, did. Adrian, for all the Twitter drama, people love to ratio each other. They actually ratioed Barcelona in real life. Yeah, exactly, which is not something that many people can say that they have done, especially at Camp Nou, a huge club like Barcelona. Oof. But at least, hey, they gave Xavi a a really good excuse as to why they lost that match, even though Eintracht, I think, would have won it either way. But speaking of... I thought he was going to blame Dest. Yeah, I mean, Dest is one of those guys, speaking of sexy names, he's one of those guys that he's he's going to stay at Barcelona, he's going to leave Barcelona, he's going to stay, he's going to leave, he's going to stay. He's all over the place, just like Kylian Mbappe which this transfer saga is getting very, very tiring, if you ask me. You know, one minute it's, oh, he's guaranteed to go to Real Madrid. He signed the papers. He just needs to take the picture of him signing a fake contract, and then it will be unveiled that Kylian Mbappe is going to Real Madrid. Now they're saying that PSG is basically doing 
literally everything they can to keep him at the club. You know, there's rumors of them offering him a percentage of, of ownership of the club, meaning that he'll have a say in, you know, signings and coaches and blah, blah, so blah. So he's blah. basically LeBron James? So he's LeBron James. He is the LeBron James of soccer, officially. Yeah. He's going to take that title from Christian Pulisic, which I'm sorry to Christian, but it looks like it's going to happen. But guys, what do we think of this? Do you think, I mean, your guess is as good as mine as to whether he'll stay or not. But for him, what would you prefer to see? Stick around at PSG and really become the club? It will be Kylian Mbappe FC or go to Real Madrid? Uh, I have two different thoughts on this. If I was a fan of PSG, I would personally not want him to stay under those conditions, right? He basically becomes the commander-in-chief of the freaking club. So if I'm a PSG fan, I would not want him to stay under those conditions. But obviously, as a PSG fan, you want to keep a player like Kylian Mbappe, especially considering Messi is much closer than retirement than ever. And Neymar, even though he's much younger than Messi, he appears to be as close to retirement as Messi, right? It doesn't seem like he wants to play much anymore. But you can't keep him under those conditions. Now, as a as a fan of the game, I personally don't care. <laughs> I don't care, Adrian. I just don't care where Mbappe goes. I uh, I'm not French. Um, I'm not a Real Madrid fan. I'm not a PSG fan. I just couldn't care less. I'm just following through just to know which team maybe I'll pick in FIFA because if Mbappe goes to Real Madrid, that's going to be a pretty badass team. <laughs> but but in terms of the game, I don't care where he goes. I mean, in my opinion, PSG goes out of their way to do everything wrong. And it is just so funny to watch. You hear this all the time. If you're a fan of PSG, no player should be bigger than the club. And I've never seen an offer, and we don't know the facts. Maybe this has been twisted, but that offer is absolutely ridiculous. He clearly wants to leave. He wants to go to Madrid. Let the man go. You had the chance to cash in for 180. You were stubborn. You thought you could keep him. Now you're realizing that, hey... I was wrong. So now you're just looking just so unprofessional, trying to basically hand him the club. Might as well hand him part ownership at this point. It's just, it's it's ridiculous. I think that that's maybe toying with him a little bit, but in all honesty, I think he's going to end up at Madrid. I think that's where he wants to be. Vinicius, Mbappe, Benzema, front three next year. It's It, it would be an insane. And plus, Liga is just a way more competitive league. Mbappe wants to play with the best. I'm sorry. I'm a, I'm a fan of Liga. I like all top five leagues. You guys know my opinions about of the, the tag Farmers League. I don't think it's a Farmers League, but I think the league is a much more competitive league. He's going to battle with some of the better teams towards the top of the table. It'll it'll almost help him get to that next level as well. I think this is the time for him to move on his career. I don't think he wants to be there, but it's almost like a clingy ex-girlfriend or something is just like hanging on Mbappe as he's trying to walk out the door. And it's honestly, just to me, it, it's embarrassing. Yeah, I, I mean... Well, first of all, I would love to see him in La Liga, just as you had said, Josh. I think that it'd be fun to see him outside of Liga because we haven't seen that yet. You know, he went from AS Monaco to PSG. But as for PSG's side of things, I can understand why they're so desperate to try and get him to stay. Because like Filippo was talking about, they have Messi and Neymar who are sort of on their way out. Angel Di Maria is already on his way out. So if they lose Mbappe and Di Maria, plus with all the sort of the negative press they've had lately about how they can't buy glory and how it hasn't worked again and how they just consistently fail because of the short-term sort of solutions that they bring to the club. If they're to see someone like Kylian Mbappe, a young guy, walk away from the club and go try it elsewhere, that's going to be very, very damaging to the reputation. And it's going to make it less enticing, I think, coupled with all of the sort of bad 
instances of, you know, <laughs> sorry, bad uh, play in the Champions League and the continuous failures, it's going to be very, very less palatable for new signings to go to PSG. Yes, money will always talk to certain players, but as far as those who want to be at the top of the game, they aren't going to see PSG as that sort of club anymore. So, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. I think uh, I think I'm with you in that. I think that he will end up at Real Madrid, and I kind of hope that he does. Not that I'm a Real Madrid supporter, but I want to see him in La Liga, and I want to see him sort of add to this Real Madrid squad and see what they can do. A lot of people are saying it would be funny if he went to Liverpool instead so he can compete against Erling Haaland in the Premier League and sort of have this Ronaldo Messi thing, but in the Premier League. But I don't know. I don't really see that happening. And I think Klopp himself even said that they're not really in the running. They're obviously paying attention to what's going on with Mbappe because who isn't? But they're not really in the running because it seems like PSG and Real Madrid are the only ones that are, you know, in his heart at this point. The NBA playoff action is nonstop at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets if they do. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the NBA playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more. And boom, you can have a shot at an even bigger payout. Right now, all customers can place a same-game parlay with three or more legs and get a free bet back up to $25 if one leg doesn't hit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, before we move on here, well, actually, now moving on, because I think there's not much more to talk about in regards to Mbappe. One quick update on a player we talked about a while back, and then we're going to go to Borussia Dortmund, and we'll let Josh take probably that entire section to himself. Uh, the Brazilian player, Endrick, that's 15, or I believe he just turned 16. He has signed, I believe he turned 16. That's why he signed a professional contract to Palmeiras. The kid we were talking about, how he could be the next transfer somewhat like Vinicius signing before he plays a professional game for 30, 40 million euros, whatever. It looks like the transfer fee for his release, the clause will be 36 million euros. And it looks like Real Madrid or Barcelona are close, are going to probably sign him very soon. And when he's 18 in two years, he'll make that next big move. So it's a player to watch out for, Endrick from Palmeiras. But Josh, not much more to talk about there. We already talked about Endrick in a past podcast. Borussia Dortmund. New coach? Actually, no new coach yet, right? But they're going to have a new coach. Yeah, I mean, this story is developing relatively quickly. I woke up this morning and my phone was blowing up a little bit. I'm like, oh God, what like what happened? What did I miss? And and I am I'm shocked and I, I don't have any inside knowledge on, on what's going to happen. I'm curious to get your guys' opinions as well. But it, it, the whole thing just seems very strange to me. I was always pretty open about thinking that Marco Rosa, yes, he had a tough season, but... Dortmund weren't going to pull the trigger then, then I assume they were going to probably just give him another another year. This was a tough year, a lot of different circumstances with players being injured, and it was a very lackluster season. He still got second place. He did the very bare minimum, and I was expecting now with new signings coming in. They signed Sulo. They signed Schlotterbeck. They're looking at different type of players that were on his profile. Ben Zbaini from Gladbach, obviously he worked with when he was there. He's got Adeyemi coming in. He's eyeing up Sebastian Haller. These are, from what I would understand, are his signings. So they're building his team to play in this 4-2-3-1 because the team that he had before, he wanted to play a different system, 
the team was built, in my opinion, for a back three. It was just a disastrous season, but it looked like they were starting to put it in a direction that could fit his system, fit his philosophy. And I was understanding it. I was like, all right, now this is going to be a different season to see what Marco Rosa can do with players that actually fit a system that he wants to play. And then out of left field today, he gets sacked. And I I I just read a very recent report that says apparently that Dortmund were looking at Ten Hag. And it's like, okay, well, if you were looking at Ten Hag a few weeks ago and obviously you lost an OT United, where's your game plan? Is it Terzic? Because I I mean, everyone, every Dortmund fan would have assumed after winning the poll call, it would have been nice to give the the role to Terzic. He earned it. But at that point, they already assigned Marco Rosa. So are you are you backtracking? Are you, you're, you That's the number one rumor we're hearing right now is that Interiors will take over, which I don't mind, but he just took a year off of managing and kind of going behind the scenes at Dortmund. And there's just a lot of question marks. And the timing and the whole situation is, quite frankly, put me back because I just don't know really what to expect. And I mean, the one thing I would like to potentially think and hope is that Terzic himself had a lot of input, impact in these signings. And he's been at Dortmund. So if he steps in, he's he's managed them before. He's had a say on these players. He knows what he wants to do. He plays a somewhat similar type of system in terms of just a, a back four, because I think that was a big issue with Dortmund. But I don't know. Maybe they're going to go off track. Maybe go for a, a manager like Nico Kovac. I, I don't know. Curious to see what you guys think, Adrian. I mean, I don't have a ton to offer on this because you're obviously the, uh, the BVB authority here on this podcast. But I remember speaking to you back in, I think it was like December or something like that, when it was looking like a pretty lukewarm season for Borussia Dortmund because there was so much hype coming in with Marco Rosa and how he's the perfect fit for this club. And it, it seemed like that from the outside. And I remember you saying that exactly what you sort of echoed here is that a lot of people hope that Edin Terzic would get that opportunity. And I'm seeing that on Twitter as well, that a lot of people are hoping like, yes, let's go back to that. He at least had that passion, blah, 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 blah. But my question for you, Josh, is why do you think Borussia Dortmund came to this decision? Because it's, it doesn't really seem like it's, I don't know. To me, it's a little bit surprising that they only gave him that one season. And yes, I get it. Like I'm looking at the expected points for the season and the expected points, Borussia Dortmund absolutely over performed this season and they probably would have ended up around fourth or so like that so I get that it wasn't a very good season for Marco Rosa but I just feel like everyone's so impatient with coaches these days and did you think that the season was this bad that they would have cut him off this early I have I have a very out there theory and I told you it beforehand and Adrian encouraged me to say it now I'll say it last but I I personally think the whole situation fell flat on his head the second Marco Rosa was announced I think that last season under Lucien Favre was such a disaster. And then all of a sudden, and Terzic came in, no expectations whatsoever. He grabbed that team, did the miraculous recovery to get them into Champions League football. And then on top of that, went on to win the Pokal. And he just made so much love for the, the club. And everybody wanted him. But the decision was already made. And now you have a manager coming in who has so much expectations because you just basically removed a manager that this this very passionate fan base is falling in love with. And then I just felt like he started behind the eight ball right from the beginning and everything he did got very criticized. He didn't, didn't help with the personnel he had for, throughout the, the season. It was, it was tough. He had a lot of injuries. I think he got the squad wrong. In my opinion, this, this system was built for like a three, four, two, one. It, it really was. It didn't have proper players to play this system. Marco Rosa did. He played a little merry-go-round of the different formations he wanted to. And then he just said, F it. 4-2-3-1 is exactly what I'm going to play. I don't care if Brandt is a cam. He's going out wide. And then it started to click towards the end, and, and, and they had just, like I said, a, a, the very bare minimum of a season. 
But I think it was in the back of their head. We're like, you know what? This season was not good. We expected a lot more. We just lost Holland. We're going to put a lot of money in. I still don't think the fan base is convinced on Marco Rosa. And I think if the uh, if, if it's there, they're like, you know what? Maybe we just go back. We gave him his year. He he fell somewhat flat on his face. Let's bring Terzic in. He was still part of the club. He's still watched on very carefully. And let's give him this this team. That was kind of my thoughts. And like I said, like he, he had it probably an impact some way, shape, or form on the transfers coming in. Would have told the higher-ups, this is my plan if you give me this team. But I have a very out-there theory as well, which probably won't come true. Pretend it's Niko Kovac, pretend it's not. It could be another manager. But usually if you see something like this out of the blue after signings have already happened, there's got to be something else behind the scenes. The only other manager I could possibly think of to come in would be Niko Kovac. I think that he is a talented manager. I think he did a very good job at Frankfurt, which earned him the job at Bayern. He then went over to Monaco. I thought he had an excellent first season unfairly sacked and now there's three clubs in germany two of them have been heavily linked with him and that's gladback that's Wolfsburg. maybe dortmund was sniffing around being like you know what we offer him a, a better job maybe he'll come in and he'll do something better than marco rosa and it probably won't happen from the last i understood is that nico kovac is going to take over Wolfsburg. lucien favre is going to come over and take over gladback and then terrace is going to take over dortmund but my mind was spinning as to what would create this type of situation and maybe something sneaky like that. But in all honesty, it's probably just simply they want to move on and they want Terzic. Josh, uh, before we move on from Dortmund, what are y'all doing about that crappy medical department you got? I, I, I can't speak to what they're going to do. A lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of social media hates it. You should like, if you go and look at the different types of in- injuries, these players have had, there's got to be some question marks now i'm not an expert on on what to do but i would assume and hope that they're going to really take a look at themselves and like why (laughs) these injuries happen continuous not just simple that it's injuries but it's injuries the same players over and over and over again holland's got a pretty poor record geo's got a pretty poor record these players are young and they're getting injured over and over again it's really hurting in my especially geo the the potential to to grow as a player so I'm hoping some self-reflection, maybe some new appointments, but I can't speak too much to They're it. They're also mostly non-contact injuries, aren't they? They're, I mean, I, 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 they're, a lot of them are different, but yeah, I mean, they. it almost seems like a lot of them don't even happen on the pitch. Geo's, Geo's injuries were not non-contact injuries. Yeah, so. behind, behind the scenes, training, this, that, it's, I don't know. I'm, again, also, don't. I'm also no expert, but I but I want to pretend I am by saying they do a crappy job, just comparing it with other experts. Well, this season, like I said, it, it, the un, the circumstances for Rosa was unf- a little unfair because he didn't get the, from what I understand, he doesn't get these players injured, obviously. Like, something was going on. He didn't have a lot of the best players at his disposal for the majority of the season, that and some other things. So, I don't know. They need to fix that for sure because if they want any chance to compete next season, whoever the manager may be, they need a healthy squad. All right. So, now we're going to pretty much move into the English Premier League. But before we get to the overall preview of the weekend, I think the big game of this midweek was Everton versus Crystal Palace for many reasons. Let's start with the good reasons. The good reasons was it was a pretty good game. Everton was down 2-0 at halftime. And that was at home, by the way. That was somewhat dramatic because they would go to the last round with good odds of getting relegated. If I'm not mistaken, they play Arsenal fighting for a Champions League spot that they're probably not going to get. But that's off topic right now. And Everton comes back in the second half, defeats Crystal Palace 3-2, to two, and they're clear of relegation. So that's the good part of the story, I guess, if you're an Everton fan um, or if you didn't want Everton getting relegated. I personally had no opinion on it. I didn't really care. I just want Leeds to escape. 
But then the fans invaded the pitch, right? And we saw many players getting harassed. We saw Patrick Vieja, the coach, the manager of Crystal Palace, kind of, was it, would, would you consider, Adrian, would you consider that a fight? Kind of like a fight with a fan? Some, some? Uh, I'd call it a scuffle. I wouldn't yeah. call it a fight. It wasn't quite a fight. It was more a scuffle, yeah. They tried. The fans tried to get him to get to a fight. Um, yeah. but, but again, it was just horrible to see. And I think we saw, was it in the championship that a team lost three points because of a pitch of it invasion? Yeah, it definitely happened somewhere where the, the you know failure to control the crowd, pitch invasion, and someone was docked points. I, c- I can't Black, remember. Blackpool. Yes, Blackpool. exactly, exactly. So yeah, that definitely happened, and it was just it was it was brutal scenes. I I really felt for Patrick Vieira and what he had to go through there, but also like of all managers to go after Patrick Vieira, really, you're you're gonna go after that guy, the guy who went toe to toe with with Roy Keane throughout his entire career. I don't know. It was pretty. Well, was they pretty had ridiculous. they had a big crowd to back them, right? That's it was just true. coward. It was just a coward move. That's true. That's true. And I think one thing before, uh, and I'll let Josh get into this. One thing that someone keeps saying to me on Twitter is, "Are you going to apologize to Frank Lampard? Are you going to apologize?" To no, man. He took the team when they were in 16th, and now they're in 16th still. Like, what? What is there to apologize for? They went from 16th to 18th, up to 16th again. Like, that's that's nothing to really celebrate here. But no. anyway, congratulations to the Everton supporters. Uh, you guys, you guys are still in the Premier League. That's great. Yeah, I, I want to get your guys' opinion on this because, like, I mean, this this is what makes this sport so beautiful. It's, I mean, it's, I'm assuming it's all your guys' favorite sport. It's just there's something about the passion when it comes b- behind your club. Now, I think pitch invasions are are stupid. I think they're beautiful sight. I think they're so cool to see, and I, and I I love seeing them, especially when they're they're properly controlled. When when Schalke went up this year and Werder Bremen. Uh, even Frankfurt, I mean, it wasn't really a pitch invasion, but they had 50,000 people in their stadium when they won the Europa League. Uh, it, it's It can be done properly, but it's 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 scary for a reason. If I was a player on that pitch during a pitch invasion, specifically from the other team, having a bunch of drunken idiots coming in here, I'd be terrified. I would have got I would have got out of there as quick as I can. But I think now fans are just starting to make an excuse to do it. Everton finished 16th in the Premier League. This is a team that should have top... I mean, Europa League ambitions, they finished 16th in the table. It's an embarrassment for a club like that. And I get that they're passionate because they weren't going to go down. But it's almost like it's almost like you don't celebrate because you don't you think that you shouldn't be there in the first place. You don't pitch invade because you finished 16th. I thought it was ridiculous. And I get the passion and I put it on Twitter and some people were saying, yeah, it's, it's embarrassing. Some people were saying, well, they're passionate fans. They just avoid relegation. But it's like it's different to me if it was Watford, if it was Norwich. It was a team that is expected to maybe go down. They avoid last second. On the last day, I'm assuming there's going to be another pitch invasion. But it almost seems like now fans are taking an opportunity to pitch invade at any time. Because I don't know. I don't know what you guys think about it. But for a club like Everton to pitch invade over finishing 16th is a joke. Well, I think pitch invasion as a whole, it looks kind of cool on camera, right? Seeing the passion of the fans. But it just shouldn't happen, right? The players are in the field doing their job. They're working right? They're not messing around. The game is over. There's professionals in the field, journalists. They have to get out. It becomes a hot mess. It destroys the pitch. The pitch is not meant to have 1,000 people on it walking, doing whatever the freaking... I was about to curse. I apologize. Whatever they want. So it it shouldn't happen. It's dangerous. Um, Something bad could have happened. What if Patrice Vieja um, hit the fan back? Would he be wrong? I guess you're not supposed to hit people, but wasn't he put in a scenario where he might have not had an option? They were kind of pushing him, teasing him. 
So it, it, honestly, it just shouldn't happen. I, I see this happen a lot in South America. Um, it's a little bit harder to happen there because they, they put the fans almost like in this cage-like scenario where they can't really get in the field. While in the United States, Europe, it's pretty easy to invade the field if you want to. But yeah. it shouldn't happen. They're just taking advantage of a situation. It's somewhat embarrassing that they were celebrating this way, escaping relegation, considering the amount of money that Everton has spent over the years. I can understand the relief, right? Because if they got relegated, it would have been a disaster for them. But it's not something you celebrate. It's a little bit no, embarrassing. Not to that extent, at least. I, I, like, I can see both sides. I can see, you know, relief is relief. And the mob mentality is a real thing. People act like idiots in a huge group of people. That happens all the time. But when you also look at the club that they are and the amount of money that they've spent... And you almost want to say, like, have a little bit of shame in celebrating this kind of thing. But whatever. That aside, I think that Mike Goodman on Twitter tweeted something really well. He said, either you've got to keep the fans off the field until the opposing team is gone, or you got to make peace with the opposing personnel doing a Vieira. You can't just let fans tee off on opposing players and coaches like that. And I absolutely agree with that. I don't think that that is a, uh, a harsh take at all. And I think that you know, Patrick Vieira probably will get some sort of fine, but it will probably just be mostly like a, a nominal thing just to say that, yes, we did. We did punish him for striking out at a fan, but I don't know many people that could look at that situation and feel the threat of all of these intoxicated fans running on the pitch, fingering you, trying to push you around, getting in your face. I mean, even during the match, there was a moment when Anderson went over to do a throw in. And the fans wouldn't let him have the ball. Anderson obviously plays on Crystal Palace, for anyone that doesn't know. The fans wouldn't let him have the ball. A little kid was hitting him. He sort of turned and looked at the kid. He grabbed the ball. And then this, like, grandma, like, smacked him in the ass and told him to F off. It's like, this is ridiculous. And I think that Everton should get punished for that kind of thing. Because if that goes unchecked and this is allowed to just continue, you're going to have situations like we saw in Ligue 1 earlier this season where Marseille, Nice, etc., it became a habit of just throwing things onto the pitch, just unruly supporters, and it can get really out of hand, and people will push the envelope over and over and over again until someone oh, gets hurt. Unless England wants to go back to the hooligans area, right? Unless they want to go back to that. That was probably worse, but if they keep letting things happen, why, why won't it come back? Clearly, humans are not civilized enough yet, so if you don't let don't have some law and order in there. It's going to become chaotic once again. But let's go back to good topics here because the we talked about Everton, but I think the Premier League in the last round, there's three main storylines that we need to touch upon. One is the title race, which Liverpool's one point behind Manchester City with one match to play. We're going to go through the matchups there too. The second, actually four storylines, right? There's the Champions League one, that's Tottenham, Spurs, and Arsenal. Even though Tottenham plays Norwich, so I don't think the odds of Arsenal catching up are high. Arsenal is currently two points behind Tottenham. The other one is Manchester United and West Ham fighting for an Europa League spot, which I know it's embarrassing for United, but it would be worse if they go to the Conference League. They need to at least be in the Europa League. The last one is the relegation between Leeds and Burnley. They're tied in points, but because Leeds United has one of the worst defenses in the league with 78 goals allowed, they're down right now in the relegation zone. So pretty much Burnley and Leeds, what Leeds needs is to get a better result than Burnley. So if Burnley loses, Leeds can tie, they're out. If Burnley ties, Leeds needs to win, and they're out. 
if Burnley wins, Leeds probably has to win and beat Brentford by 20 to 0 or something like that, which is not going to happen. So I think what we can start here with you guys is the title race, Manchester City and Liverpool. Adrian, and then go to Josh after. Is it over? Yeah, I mean, well, it would be like a very romantic story for Steven Gerrard to deny City the title and sort of make up for the slip back in the day and help Liverpool to the title. I just, I can't really see Manchester City losing at home on the final day. They're just so, so, so good in the league. They win the league for fun under Pep Guardiola. I just can't really see it happening. I mean, you know, for the drama sake and as a neutral, it would be really fun to see something get shaken up and, you know, a last minute steal of the title by Liverpool, last day steal of the title from Liverpool. But I just don't really see it happening, man. I think that City's got this one. I love how you describe that, making up for the slip to come back years later in a way that you would never imagine possible to help win Liverpool a title. That's the beautiful thing about this sport, because I that's a fairy tale, man. I like the way you describe that. Uh, but I agree with you. I, I don't think that, that City are going to let this slip. Uh, I think this is important. This is almost job done. They have one result to go, and they made up for their disappointing Champions League exit, as they always will, but... I like that, man. If it happens, I'm like that is a that's a cool way to look at it, and that's it's interesting because it just you know CB, CBG when you retire, you're never going to think how do I win Liverpool the league again unless I'm a manager of them. But anyways, so I, I like that. Yeah, if we were being very conservative on our pick and just picking the obvious, Manchester City and uh, Liverpool. So Manchester City will play Aston Villa at home, and Liverpool plays the Wolves at home. These are two games you expect both of them to win. If both of them win, which is what would happen under normal circumstances, Manchester City wins the Premier League once again. Now, the second one is the Champions League. And Josh, I'll start with you. Arsenal and Tottenham. There are two points. There's a two-point gap. Uh, The goal differential for Tottenham is 15. So if Tottenham gets a draw with Norwich, the already relegated Norwich away, they're guaranteed top four pretty much. And Arsenal faces Everton, which is probably in party mode right now. Is that one over? Yeah, it's over. It's, I mean, it's over for a lot of reasons. I mean, Arsenal, yes, their matches got easier knowing that Everton have already survived. But Tottenham's in such a better form than Arsenal. Arsenal has been shaky. They've been dropping points. It was in their own hands. They blew it. And they got to get a draw against Norwich, who aren't playing for anything. We're the worst team in the league. This thing, this thing's over. I think that Tottenham are going to win pretty handily. I bet you a three, four, nothing type result. And Antonio Conte did an excellent job to get this team back into the top four. He did do an excellent job, and I'm happy to see it because Antonio Conte is one of my favorite managers. But what I'm hoping for, I mean, I think that yes, I totally agree with you. It's sort of a foregone conclusion that I think Tottenham will beat Norwich unless there's. You know, Norwich want to give their fans something to smile about on the last day and they really go all in. But even if they do, they've just been so horrendous this season that I can't see this Tottenham side, especially with the form they're in, dropping points. But what I hope for even more is that Hyungman Son gets two, three goals and overtakes Mohamed Salah in that goals race because he's just been so fun to watch over the last two, three seasons, really. But especially this season, his finishing has just been incredible and it would be great to see him at the top of the goal scoring standings at the end of all of this. Okay, now the the third storyline that I said we have to cover here. It's Manchester United, right? They're going to go, I feel like it's been for the fifth time the past 10 years on a rebuild mode with a new manager. Ten Hag is going to take over next season. 
And obviously qualifying to the Europa League is much better than qualifying to the Conference League in terms of money, reputation, and competition to play, right? I mean, sure, Manchester United can go and win the Conference League, but less money. So they're two points ahead of West Ham. However, the goal differential favors West Ham by 10, which means if they time points, um, if they time points right now, and let me see if I didn't see this wrong, actually, if they tie in points, yes, West Ham would be ahead of them. And West Ham will face Brighton away, and Manchester United will face Crystal Palace away. So now you first, Adrian. Is Manchester United going to hold on to the Europa League or not? I mean, it's difficult to say. I, I honestly, so I don't think that they will win their match this weekend. I don't think that they will win. But the question comes down to, will West Ham beat Brighton away? Because Brighton have been pretty decent lately, but their home record is quite poor. They have the, you know, if we look at their home results, they're sitting in 17th place. So I think that West Ham absolutely have a chance of beating Brighton. And we saw how well they played against Manchester City lately. Jared Bowen has just been insane. That's been quite the story at West Ham. So I think... West Ham, you know what? I'm going to go for it. West Ham's going to get the win and United is going to draw. And then I think that would put them on level points, correct? And then, yes, but West Ham has 10 more in goal differential. Exactly, exactly. That puts West Ham. So then West Ham are going into the Conference League and United just get a, you know, a free season next season. for No, no, no. 10- it's the other way, Adrian. It's six. Wait, what? So, no, no. So what, in that case, what would happen was West Ham would go into the Europa League. Oh, and Europa, United, sorry, sorry. Yes, yeah. and United will go to the Conference League, which it's not good for Manchester United. They, they need to a bare minimum be in the Europa League, the bare minimum, which is bad they already. And they'll be in the Conference League next season. Oh, I, God. I hate to say I, I want to believe they're going to make it to the, the Europa League. They're going to beat Crystal Palace away. And, and Josh, make sure you pick this one wisely. Yeah, I, I can just see it now. 1-1. One, one. West Ham earned its, its decision day. West Ham got the win, and United score last minute one big pitch invasion, absolutely pulling the Everton, freaking out. They got Europa League. I'm going two one United in pitch invasion. Nah, the game is away, so it will be less fans, less United fans invading. That's fine. It's, it's some type of pitch invasion. They're gonna do yeah, it. they're gonna find, they're gonna find a way to do it. They'll go after Patrice Vieja too. They'll make sure to go after him. Yeah, double fight, double fight. Two weeks, two pitch invasions, two fights. I like it. Yeah, The last one is the relegation battle between Burnley and and Leeds United. And this one's pretty straightforward. I already mentioned they're tied in points, but Burnley has a much better goal differential. So if they finish tied in points, Leeds will get relegated. Leeds United faces Brentford away. And Burnley faces, if I'm not mistaken, Newcastle at home, I believe. Yes, Newcastle at home. So, honestly, Newcastle's not an easy opponent lately. They've been tough to beat. Bruno Guimarães has been fantastic there. He has five goals, and he arrived in January, and he's a, he's a central midfielder. Um, and Brentford away is also not going to be easy for Leeds United because it's Leeds United. I, I, I want to believe Jesse Marsh will pull this through because if he doesn't, it's been such a disastrous season for him. Right, Starts off on Leipzig. Um, as much as people say he was set up to fail, it doesn't matter. He failed. Set up or not, he accepted the job. He takes over a hot potato at Leeds. And at one point, it seems like they were fine, right? That Leeds was going to escape until Burnley sacks their manager, switches and gets, what, 10 points and 12 that no one expected, revives themselves. And, and now Leeds is in this situation, which is not a good one. 
I want to say Leeds is going to escape, but the way they've been playing, I can't see them beating Brentford away, which means they would need Newcastle to defeat Burnley away. I'm going to say Leeds will escape just for the sake of it. Not overly confident. What are your thoughts first, Josh? You that know Jesse so well. Yeah, I, I, so I don't personally think he was set up to fail at Leipzig. It was a whole different topic, but I just think he, he he bit off a little bit more than he can chew. I think he was set up to fail at Leeds, in my opinion. I think it was miraculous. He got some of the results that he did, but I think that this is where it's going to end. I think he's going to get relegated. And I think he's going to get sacked. So I think more than likely he's going to he's probably going to lose. And I think Burnley will probably win. I think there's some just something about that team right now, that fighting spirit. I think that they're going to get the result and Leeds are going to go down. Yeah, I think that Leeds are going to go down as well because Jesse Marsh cannot play defensive football. And that's exactly what I see Burnley doing. It's just playing, you know, 10 men behind the ball and just uh, getting a 0-0 or a 1-1 where they steal a goal from a set piece or something like that. Like a very, very Burnley result. And Leeds, I think, like I said, Jesse Marsh just doesn't have it in him to sit back and play defensively and try and hold out for a drop. Plus... Brentford has been excellent lately. Ever since Christian Eriksen joined them, they have one of the best point totals since he arrived at the club. So Brentford is a very, very difficult team. Thomas Frank has actually been uh, nominated for PL Manager of the Year, which is quite the achievement considering where they're going to finish in the table. It just goes to show how against it they have been. So I think that Brentford will get a good result. And uh, ultimately, that will be the death of Leeds. And uh, Jesse Marsh, back in MLS. Yeah, maybe what he's maybe one more European failure away from heading back to MLS. Uh, sometimes coaches need to learn how to readjust, adapt, have tactical flexibility, and and it seems like he's he's stuck with like the Ragnik ways, which we we know coaches the modern day Gegenpress that Klopp does. I guess Tuchel to a certain extent does as well, and Medea, Nagelsmann, Julian Nagelsmann changed it. Coaches need to evolve, and, and Ragnik was a genius for his time. Right now, it's a little outdated. Things need to change, and and Jesse Marsh still has that same idea and doesn't seem like he's willing to change it for now. But that's it for the Premier League. It's going to be a fun Sunday. By the way, everyone, the games will be on Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern time, okay? Make sure you watch those games. It's going to be a fun day. But then we got also the Serie A. Uh, the Serie A, the Italian League, they have less storylines than the Premier League, I would say, for the last round. The main one would be the title race between the two Milan teams, AC Milan and Inter, where AC Milan currently leads with two points ahead of Inter Milan. Inter Milan has a better goal differential, so if they tie in points, Inter Milan will probably win it. Now, third place is locked with Napoli. Fourth place is locked with um, Juventus. Lazio is locked in the Europa League. I guess Roma and Fiorentina... They're going to fight for the last Europa League spot. That's something to say. Uh, even though Roma won the Conference League, can one of you fact check me here? If you win the Conference League, are you automatically in the Europa League of next year? Yeah, I'm pretty positive that that's the case. So if they so, do end up winning next Wednesday, then they'll be in Europa, I think. Okay, so maybe even this battle won't matter because there's also Atalanta. They might open up an extra Europa League spot here, and then it's just going to be Fiorentina and Atalanta fighting for it, and both will go to the and one of them will go to the Conference League in case Roma wins the Europa Conference League. And I guess there's a bit of a relegation battle between Salernitana and Cagliari. 
right? Um, I don't think Genoa has a chance anymore and Venezia are relegated. I guess the main thing to talk about here is not really the Europa League right now. As we said, it depends a lot on Roma winning the Conference League and that can open up an extra spot for Fiorentina and Atalanta. And then one of them will come in and the other one will play the Conference League. But the title race. So last season, Inter Milan won it and Juventus finished second. No, sorry. AC Milan finished second. Juventus finished fourth. And for the second season in a row, Juventus will finish fourth. And the Milan teams are interchanging, again, the title. It looks like in Italy, these two teams are back. AC Milan and Inter Milan. And AC Milan has some exciting young players there, too. First and foremost, let's finish the preview. And then I want to ask you guys, do you have any expectations of thinking that these two Milan teams could go back to the 90s, 2000, even before that, when they were continental teams, dominant in the continent, or they're just going to be there in Italy in the Italian league that definitely fell off a little bit. But before we get to that part of the topic, let's go to Adrian first here. Um, Who wins, AC Milan or Inter Milan, and who do you want to win? So I think that AC Milan is going to end up winning. Um, They're just on such a good hot streak right now. I really like how Pioli has this team set up. And Pioli is a guy that wasn't wanted by anyone, especially when he was hind at AC Milan. I mean, Pioli out was trending on Twitter when he was announced as the next manager at AC Milan a while ago. So that just goes to show how his reputation was looking prior to what he's done at AC Milan. And I also think that they deserve it. And he deserves all of the recognition as well, because the way that they've been run under Elliot, the ownership group that's looking after them, you know, in the moment, well, before they end up getting sold, which is looking like that might happen this summer, um, they've run an incredibly tight ship, very, very, very low amount of signings, a lot of free signings, you know, players on loan to make it, make it permanent at the end, those kinds of signings. They haven't gone and splashed the cash as they did, I believe it was in 2017, when there was that changing of hands in ownership twice in one summer, and they signed a whole new 11, basically, at that time. So I would love to see AC Milan do it. I would love to see them back on top. And I think that their fans deserve it after all the sort of suffering that they have been through. So I think that AC Milan will pull it off. And I would personally be very, very happy with that. Josh? Yeah, same. I uh, I think it's been quite a ride. I remember when AC Milan finishing top 10 was almost like an impressive thing. They, were, they really made a, a true turnaround. And, and Pioli... Like, I remember that too. Like, no one thought he was good enough. He kind of came in, I think, when he first was appointed just to see out the season. And he really turned it around. And he just is, he's one of the good guys in the sport. He, he really is. And I think that this would be a bit of a shocking title, in my opinion. I didn't really think that AC Milan at the beginning of the season were going to be able to do it over 38 games. So, if he's able to pull it off, I think it'd be fantastic. And why not? I mean, after seeing Juve win it nine times in a row, now you got three different winners in three different years. Juve, Inter, AC. So, I'm all for it. And I think they'll do it. Yeah, I, I love this actually, right? Um, I, I used to, in the 2000s at least, the, the Serie A was, a lo- I, when I lived in Brazil, I would watch the Brazilian League first. And then the two European league European leagues that I would watch the most were the Premier League because I was a big-time Manchester United fan. Still am, but I was much more into them back then because there was more reasons to be into them. And the Serie A, I used to watch a lot the Serie A. There were a lot of Brazilians, a lot of great players there. And unfortunately, it fell off quite a bit and became a little bit boring to watch with Juventus being the only team. But lately, I'm, I think I'm going to start getting into the Serie A a little bit more. It's looking good. It's looking better. I like that AC Milan is back on top. I think Sandro Tonali having a breakout season definitely made a big difference this year 
one of the one of the many difference makers that might lead to them winning the Serie A, unlike last season, right? A young player that when they signed him from, I, I believe, didn't he come from the Serie B? He played at the Serie B, right? Or he got a uh, game? No, he was uh, he was with Brescia. When, so they went from Serie B up to Serie A, and after his Serie A stint, they got relegated, and AC Milan signed him on. Yeah, low. and it didn't seem like he was living to the expectations in the first or second season, but he really turned out to be pretty good this year. Very good this year. And uh, personally, I want AC Milan to win it. I don't have a team in Italy, uh, but but I just want to see this alternation. I want to see maybe next season, see maybe Napoli put up a fight. I mean, they're close this year. They were pretty close. Um, get Napoli up there, Lazio, Libor, Juventus. I, I, I think I'm going to... The Serie A might be my go-to league next season. I think that, it should that, be Filippo because it's been, it's been consistently incredibly entertaining over the last couple of seasons because it used to have that, or at least for a while, it had that reputation of being a very, very defensive league where there's not many goals, but it's the complete opposite of that now. I feel like there's so many games that end 3-2, 4-1, 5-2, and Sassuolo, by the way, the team that AC Milan's playing on the final day, they are one of those teams where they have very dangerous attackers in Berardi and Scamacca. Um, and they can they can beat you four nil or they can lose six nil type of thing, you know. So there it could go either way for AC Milan. So we'll see what happens. AC Milan definitely has the harder match on this final match day, as Inter, I believe, are playing Sampdoria, who are pretty low on the table. It's also a league where you look into it, and there's honestly look into next season. Obviously, some signings can change here and there. Roma can definitely improve with Jose Mourinho. He can get results. But it's a league where there's probably four teams that you look at it right now and they could win the Serie A, the Scudetto next season. AC Milan, Inter Milan, Napoli, Juventus. Honestly, I expected more from Atalanta. I think they can do better too. They can be up top on this table as well. Roma can do better. I think Lazio is more or less where they should be from the team they have. Fiorentina as well. They lost Vlavic. They signed Artu Cabral that that is a pretty good center for too, and I think he's going to step up and be very useful in the Serie A and go to a big club eventually. But boys, is there anything else we're adding on to today? I think we talked a lot. No, I think that's it. That's all I have to say. I'm just uh, looking forward to this weekend. It should be another good one, and then a summer of nothing. Well, I guess after you know, there's the Champions League final, or you know, that competition called the Champions League or whatever is finishing next weekend. But uh, other than that, it's a summer of, of peace and quiet. So yeah. Uh, a little bit, right? U.S. men's national team and Canadians have a busy summer. We have June, early June here. We have the, the friendlies preparing for the World Cup, Nations League. And then there's the CONCACAF U20 Championship, which I know many people don't talk about it, but it's a big deal if you're a CONCACAF fan because it, it, it will serve as a U20 World Cup qualifying. It will also serve as an Olympic qualifying. And if your country, unlike Mexico, because they don't need to grow popularity, but for the U.S. and Canada to participate in the Olympics, to bring in casuals, bring attention to the sport – it's a pretty big deal. So this tournament's going to be in the second half of June. And I think it's very important for Mexico, for the United States and Canada to qualify to both competitions. Unfortunately, there's only two spots for the Olympics. And I can see Mexico snagging one for sure. They're pretty good at these youth tournaments. But, but yeah, it's, it's going to be busy June for me, for Josh, for sure. And then July, man, we rest. Just a couple of transfers here and there. But July is going to be... Very peaceful in the soccer universe. I agree. I'm looking forward to it. 
But and now that you mentioned Nations League, even I think Europa or UEFA Nations League is also going on. So ignore what I was saying earlier. There's going to be a lot of action still in the first half of June, at least if you're a European football fan. But if you're a CONCACAF fan, whew, you're set for a long time. But anyway, Filippo, take it away, man. All right. So everyone, thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to drop a review as we threaten you before. We will come after you if you don't drop a review. And after this summer, the World Cup will be here. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you.